Welcome to The Scrub Life, a podcast for and about the incredible profession of surgical technology. I'm Chris Blevins, and our mission at The Scrub Life is to educate the public about surgical technology. Each episode dives into the wonderful world of surgery, where we inform and hopefully entertain our listeners while interviewing amazing individuals within the field and presenting the hot topics everyone wants to know more about. We've now partnered with the Association of Surgical Technologists to help us expand our conversations, bolster our engagement, and bring further awareness to the surgical technology profession. CSTs are an integral part of the sterile team that cares for patients in the operating room. Learn more about this exciting field, the immense effort that goes into educating future CSTs, and how you too can become a ninja of the OR. Now, without further ado, here's the latest episode of the Scrub Life Podcast. Today's episode has a different format than the one our listeners may be familiar with because we're going to feature many voices and a variety of interviews. The Association of Surgical Technologists is a huge organization with over 58,000 members. They have hardworking staff, dedicated administrators, and dozens of passionate CSTs who volunteer countless hours to serve their colleagues and, of course, the profession that they love. As our professional organization, AST performs a critical role in dictating our scope of practice, supporting the state assemblies, and of course ensuring that all business processes are held to the highest standards. And the goal of AST is not just to host and run our national conference. It's held in various locations annually across the country, although that might be the only interaction one might have when not pursuing continuing education credits, um, necessary to maintain current credentialing, and of course to educate ourselves on like the newest and the best practices in patient care. Many of you listening today might have pondered, right, what has AST done for me lately? It's a great question and one that is often kind of haphazardly answered by those who may not be quite aware of the roles and the responsibilities of not just AST, but ARC, STSA, and the NBSTSA. You know, these are three governing bodies that work really hard in conjunction to serve practicing CSTs, our colleges and universities, and those who are striving to become certified. And I don't know about you, but I always want to know the why behind what we do. Uh, and I try to become educated on a topic before making any conclusions. So let's get transparent. What happens after the big decisions that are voted on during national conference? Who are the key players making these decisions? You know, how do you get your voice heard and become more involved and find out exactly what AST is doing for you lately? And I can't think of a better place to begin than with the president of AST, Kevin Craycraft. Hi, President Kevin Craycraft. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of The Scrub Life. My pleasure. 
So How's it going, Chris? It's uh, it's going well. So, Kevin, you and I are constantly battled with the question of what has AST done for me lately? And that can have this like massively negative connotation to it, especially when it's floating around social media. And I really wanted us to focus on tonight is what AST is doing for you lately, because there's so many positive things that can come out of that. And a lot of it is just the fact that people just don't know right? Like they don't understand what is happening behind the scenes when we're not right in front of the cameras, when we're not doing huge events like national conference. AST's national conference is huge and the energy is just, you can feel it vibrating and it's well attended. And there's so many important things that happen at conference, but then we don't really get to see what happens after. I really want to pick your brain tonight about the steps for AST and the national board. And once all of those huge decisions are made, what happens next? And so let's start there. AST's national conference was held in New Orleans, Louisiana. Like, What are your takeaways from national conference this year besides your badass suit, by the way? (laughs) I mean, how can we not... How can we not mention? I can't even speak to the suit. The Mardi Gras (laughs) suit is a a entity of its own. I just happened to get to wear it like Superman's cape, so to speak. No, it it does all the speaking for me. It's something else. As much energy as we took away from it, I would think you did too, right? Absolutely. Actually, I went into this conference. uh, This was the first one that I was the main stage. Yeah, And so it was a little bit different for me. I was a lot busier than I had been at past conferences because the president has a lot more responsibilities. But the one thing I really took out of it as much as anything is I spun my way down the aisles acting insane and running out of oxygen. Um, The positivity of the crowd. When I Mm -hmm. said that we increased 50,000 members, actually at that time, I can still remember the number, 50,204. And wow. I'm going to say it a couple more times. Please do. And so I kept bringing that up. And every time the crowd was so loud and realizing that 50,000 people standing on the mountain can be heard. Two people standing on the mountain is a conversation. When we really start looking at the big picture of it, the energy from that was just amazing to me. The House of Delegates, the rest of the attendees, um, it was there was a couple moments that kind of watered my eyes a little bit just because of the excitement in the room for some of the things I was saying and the things we were doing. When I said first time attendees, I was utterly shocked. And normally up on the stage, it's very hard to see all of the crowd. Yeah, those lights uh, are lights, blinding. Yeah, blinding type of lighting. <laughs> and so I had to do the old shaded out just to see. And it was amazing the number of first time attendees, which is a awesome sign. Because not only are we kind of bouncing back from the 2020 stuff, this year we were back to somewhat normal numbers and going up. And so our percentage for attendance on the national conference continued to rise as we were going along. But really, when you talk about what we're doing after conference, it really comes into putting all our standing committees together and getting ready for another year. So what happens when we are attending the business session at conference? As far as the business sessions, it's very much like a state assembly business session. There's protocol in place. We're going to follow parliamentary procedure. The real thing, it kind of depends how much you have on the agenda of the business meeting. 
if we're having bylaws amendments, changes to the bylaws, and I'm trying to explain things to the House of Delegates, I'm going to be doing so in a very calm, no bias to it. I just want sure. to put the information out there so they know what they're voting on and what we're trying to accomplish with the amendment. Now, we really didn't have that this year. We've had it in the last couple of years where we've looked at different things in the bylaws that we've uh, voted on by the House of Delegates. Mm -hmm. um, and this year we had more of a couple people suggest some different ways of doing things that we're doing now, of which is always a good idea to review how we do our standing committees, the structure of that structure of how one gets nominated or runs for board and so forth. Yeah, those things came from the floor. Correct. Right? And Correct. so there's different ways to like bring things forward. There's as much planning as you can do, but then you have to be ready for those opportunities, right? Absolutely. No, some of it, what comes to the business session, we know already, it's already in print. It's being yeah. proposed by the AST board of directors or by last year's house of delegates or whatever it might mm -hmm. be. And that part you can kind of have, for lack of better terminology, I'm not good with scripts, but you can kind of have a little bit of an idea or a script for it. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes from the floor, it's a whole different animal. You got to make sure that, one, you take the motion, you second the motion, you have the proper discussion. You make sure that those House of Delegates that do have an opinion, because as much passion is, is also opinion. Um, sure. Some people want to see this change. Some people don't. So they're going to have someone to speak on each side of it in most cases. And you want to make sure those voices get heard by the House of Delegates, because when it comes right down to it, it's not the AST Board of Directors that's normally going to do the voting on that situation. It's going to be a House of Delegates vote. Right. Now, this that was proposed this year is more of a action request of the AST Board. So and what, is that, what does that mean? are asking us to review some things and make sure the structure that we're going under currently based on the years and terms for our standing committees is best for the leadership of the organization long term. Okay. Not a problem going back and looking at that stuff to make sure that we are accomplishing what we should be. Something that could come into effect there is how long should someone be on a standing committee? Well, you want them to have time where they can come off of the committee and run for board if that's what they desire. Or you want them to be around long enough on a committee to bring that stability to a committee that has got important projects working. And so it's a split decision there whether we push everybody for leadership when they are already doing leadership at the committee level. It makes a difference as far as to that person. And I think it's a very personal decision whether you run. I think it's also what's going on in your life. How much time do you have to give? It's not all uh, rainbows and butterflies. Um, what? <laughs> I don't want to pop the bubble. I mean, it's not freaking uh, Skittles dropping out of unicorns. While we're on that topic, I think this is a good question to ask because okay. I've been asked it and I know that it's been floated around, but I think a clear and direct answer is noted for this. Ready? Ready. Mr. Craycroft, are the positions on national board and in the national committees, are those voluntary positions or are you paid to do the work for AST? Those are all volunteer positions. I was asked that when I was at the meet and greet, when I was running for different positions throughout my years on the board, um, whether we got paid. And no, it is strictly volunteer. The standing committees are volunteer. The only reason that we have the strength and infrastructure that we have in our organization is because of a bunch of people with big hearts. Right. And so I have a follow-up question. Okay. And therefore, if you're not being paid by SD, do you actually have a full-time job that you do when you're not president or like in <laughs> conjunction with being president of ASD? 
Uh, yes, I do. I uh, see. I have a full-time job with uh, Bluegrass Community Technical College, where I'm the program director of a surge tech program that runs a couple cohorts a year. Just to clarify that you volunteer and are not paid by AST to be the AST president, nor are any of us who are involved on a national level. It is voluntary, and we also are serving our community and serving our you know profession as either educators or behind the mayo. Absolutely. There's, it's all about a servant's heart. <clears throat> yeah. The only reason to do the things we do. And believe me, the hours that I spend away from or doing other things or traveling when I could be watching football or whatever, I'm always working on something AST because this profession's given me everything since I'm an 18-year-old and I plan on giving it back. I got to leave my footprint. A lot of the work I do and a lot of the ideas I'm bringing to the table and the things I'm trying to change will have zero effect on my life. Yeah. It's for the next generation in this profession. It's for the evolution of this profession. Nursing's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. We're 50. Yeah. We are very much still in our infancy. And so as we grow in numbers and when we actually look at the numbers, just since conference, we've grown over 4,000 members in basically what two months yeah and so surge tech is what brought me in raised me up and gave me everything i've done since i was an 18 year old i came straight out, straight out of high school and into a tech program and so i'm doing this because i love the profession i want to bring us more credibility i want us to be paid millions of dollars for our efforts me too. <laughs> and so whether I get any of those things done, all I can do is take some people to the top of the mountain and scream and yell and sing with me. And if we're all singing the same tune, we'll get the credibility. A good segue into this is you've talked already about the House of Delegates. And the I want you to talk more about what that means. Like these are people who are on a standing committee, surgical technologists who are serving behind the Mayo and run to be able to be the voice of the people in their state at nationals. So talk to me more about what that role means. What is the House of Delegates and how can somebody be a part of that? Okay, the House of Delegates, you got to go back to your state assembly mm -hmm. frame. I think there's nothing more honorable than being voted by your peers in your state to represent their voice at national conference. You get a vote on issues regarding the bylaws and how we're going to move forward as a profession. You get a vote on the AST board of directors. Now, what we basically have is we can have up to six delegates from each state assembly. And so you go to your state assemblies, you put your name in the hat to be a delegate. If you are elected, you go to conference and you sit in the House of Delegates, meaning that you have a vote on any topic that gets opened up and during the business session, you have a voice and a vote on all the elections. And you can ask questions too, right? Absolutely. I guess people announce that they're running. They make their speech as to why you should vote for them for whatever particular position they're running for. But then there's, I don't know, we lovingly called it the fishbowl. It's where Correct. all of the candidates are in a one general area and you as delegates get to go in and kind of pick their brain. Tap on the glass, see what they do. <laughs> see what that fish does. <laughs> no, it's been called the reason why we called it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's actually been called various things. But the House of Delegates, I you almost need to think about it as two branches. Okay. 
the first branch being what deals with any conversations that come up during business session with regard to vote. And the other part of it is meeting the candidates mm -hmm. and going through the candidates forum so you know which candidate you want to vote for that best represents what you want to see done with the profession and how they represent the profession. And so I kind of split the House of Delegates into two tasks. And yes. one may be looking at bylaws amendments. One may be looking at discussions that come up and they always have an open mic to come up and actually state who they are and a concern or something they would like discussed by the House of Delegates. And then those six folks that have been elected from each state can vote on, can speak to positive, negative, how they feel about it. Um, and then, of course, the meet and greet, as we call it. What people need to understand when they go to the meet and greet we're talking about volunteers that want to step up and represent a profession you love. Mm -hmm. You should be able to ask them some questions to see where they stand. Do they support the associate's degree? Do they support accredited? Do they support the outcomes? Do they support the things we're doing as far as our curriculum, our standards of, and guidelines, uh, the things produced out of the Ed Committee in general? We got to see if they ask the candidate about those things. And if they don't agree with your philosophies, don't vote for them. Yeah. If they agree with your philosophies and you think they'll be better for the profession, vote for them. So once the delegates have made their decisions, they have voted um, the Tellers Committee, which is run by our bylaws. And of course, we'll talk about that here in a second. But, you know, all of the votes are cast and you wait and you find out what the outcome is. Not only are those votes cast, but we have three standing committees within AST. And there are appointments to those committees that are also determined during national conference and by the national board during that next meeting. So let's kind of segue there. So okay. all the votes have been cast. What is, 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 right? Let it be said, let it be written. What <laughs> happens after national conference? Like we all go home, we recover. Um, their first board meeting once we go back home, I think there's there's kind of a cloud of mystery. Like what happens with all of those major decisions and votes that were made um, once we're done? Well, I started something uh, when I got in office of monthly calls. So we speak as far as a board monthly. We got some things we got to talk about, whether it's for the future or make decisions on some things. And that first call after conference, like you said, is about building our standing committees. I want strong standing committees that are going to represent us in every way, shape and form because we've got our three standing committees. Depending upon what kind of skill set you bring to the table kind of determines which of those committees you fit best for your volunteer time. What are the standing committees for those listeners that might not understand? We got bylaws, which are, of course, going to make sure that we follow the bylaws, both on state and national level. They're going to help us with any kind of revisions or amendments to the bylaws. And so they're going to be very much built on the structure of the state assembly election process and the national election process. And then you've got the state assembly leadership committee. Now they're going to go out and their main role is to help the state assemblies put on a meeting get speakers, offer CEs to their state members, and make it a enjoyable state-level conference that brings the CEs and gets people involved with the game plan that some of those people are going to run for offices on your state assemblies and as delegates. The bylaws also plays a little role in that also because if you're having trouble getting a meeting together, SALC should be helping you to 
publicize it, get speakers, teach you how to develop a meeting. Whereas bylaws may come along and teach you how to do a business session. Mm -hmm. Much like we do at nationals, you're going to do a business session at your state assemblies each time they get together. And so they should be the same decorum with regard to the professionalism and having a script that follows through to make sure you stay on Robert's rules. So bylaws may come in and help a state with that. And then our last standing committee, the one near and dear to the host and the uh, interviewee today, and that is the Education and Professional Standards Committee, the EPSC. That's where both Chris and I cut our teeth in this gig. Yeah. Now, I uh, was back in back in 2007, <laughs> um, and so when I got involved with that, I started really seeing more of what's being accomplished by the Ed Committee, and the Ed Committee has a lot of very important projects as far as Everything that promotes education in the profession of surgical technology and surgical assisting pretty much comes out of that committee. Yeah, we're really busy. Thank you, Mr. President. And happy to bring you down with me. Um, <laughs> here's your anchor. Hang on to this while you're trying. Right? Water. Yeah. Here, don't drown. <laughs> <laughs> but no, those are our three standing committees, and they each have very important parts to play along the way. I'm actually starting to look into making sure that they all have a little more to do. In the sense, well, Ed Committee's pretty full, so you're probably in pretty good shape. But good answer. Good I answer. think you've already got three or four <laughs> big projects going that we're relying on. So yeah. I don't think you need more on that plate. But South and bylaws, I think they offer a lot to the state assemblies, and we have to grow the state assemblies. Without the state assemblies, our membership growth is not going to continue to grow. We're not going to have that local representation. And it kind of brings me to a couple things in the sense of when we talk about our state assemblies and how that kind of comes together, it is extremely important to how we move forward, getting uh -huh. people involved and getting butts in those seats so that you have the next level of volunteers. So the end of kind of our segment for me was going to be, you know, the question was, what has AST done for me lately? The topic tonight is, this is what AST is doing for you lately. Right. So the summary, I think, for you, and I would love for you to end on this, is how can people who feel very passionate, whether on social media or in person or at conference or, or at their local hospital, if they want to be involved and they, and they have these opinions and they feel like they can make a difference, what does that look like, Kevin? Like, how... How can you foster that passion to action? I think it really comes down to people want, for instance, they love to say, AST needs to come in and do this for me. Mm -hmm. We will back you 110% on what you want to do, but you have to be the local at representation. So you are the local face of surgical technology in your community, wherever that community is. You're also the state face and eventually up to that national face, so to speak. You don't have to be know everybody on the board to get involved with these. You basically fill out a consent to serve, put in information into that consent to serve that actually promotes the skills you bring to the table. Some people want to be on bylaws. Some people want to be on South. Some people want to be in education. It depends what your passion is in that three arena area. And then you put those into what we call the portal. In the portal, when we get together for that next call, right after conference, we actually look at the committees and let's say we have 10 people on a committee and two people are terming off. So we need two new people on that committee. Mm -hmm. We're going to look through those portals and find out who is interested in serving on the EPSC. 
And we're going to look over the resume and see if they bring the skill set. We're going to look at the demographics and uh, what I like to refer to as more so the arrangement of or composition of the committee to make sure it is a national committee. I don't want a bunch of people from one area of the country. And so if someone from Tennessee goes off of the EPFC, then I want someone from that same region back on the EPFC so that we continue to sort of represent the Northeast, the Southeast, Midwest, West, so on. I want to make sure these committees represent the country because I'm sorry, what happens in Kentucky in an operating room might not be the same as what's happening in Bismarck. It's true. So we need to understand that we all have the same standards and we're trying to, but when we get on these committees, we get to share what's happening in our neck of the woods with someone else's neck of the woods and merge together into what should be happening nationally and promote that game plan as far as how to run a meeting, how to do bylaws, how to do a business session, how to develop standards and guidelines, study guides, so on. I think another thing that you should bring to the table, because you and I have spoken about this, you know, personally, is that you don't, I think there might be a misnomer out there that you have to be an educator to be on a certain committee. But you want a very holistic approach, right? It's not just those of us who are teaching. You want other viewpoints, right? Absolutely. And if you go back over my years of appointments, even as a board of director moving up through vice president to president, I have a little more say in it as president. I get to bring the names forward and sell them a little harder, so to speak. But actually, one of my protocols is more so along the lines of, I want to know what you've done on your state level. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you've done on your national level. And that includes being a delegate, because I think there's nothing more honorable than votes voting you to represent them. Yeah. I mean, being voted president, I'm, I've been voted by a pretty large member group, want me to represent them. So I must be doing something a little right. Every now and then. Every now and then, a blind <laughs> squirrel. Um, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Oh yeah, I got that going for me. There's a few people that like to let me know. Um, (laughs) But as we're doing that, when we talk about the big picture of um, getting involved, we want these people to take that message and you don't have to know everything about these committees. You don't have to be an educator. I actually instituted the idea that we've got practitioners on every committee now. And that's my game plan. I mean, now given if I'm wanting to do a project where for fun, we're working on a study guide. I want some educators to help write questions because we need to make sure they're entry level reflective questions of what a search tech coming out of school should know, as opposed to what someone long in the tooth wants them to know. (laughs) But um, when we kind of get into that idea of practitioner educator, I need both of them at the table. I need the educators to help write and do test questions like they do on a daily basis. I need Mm -hmm. practitioners to filter some of that info so that it's more reflective of what's happening in that OR. And so I actually have instituted, and I'm pretty sure at this point, I kind of started this a couple years ago working with Holly, starting to put practitioners on each of the committees. And I think at this point, I have at least two practitioners on each committee at this point. And everybody says, well, these are all people you know. I got news for you. I know them by talking to them. I look at your information in the portal. If I have questions, I pick up the phone and call you. Mm -hmm. I want to know your philosophies. I want to know if they mesh with what I'm trying to accomplish over the two years that I get to sit here. Yes, sir. And we talk about where we're heading and what we think 
of the profession. And I'm sorry, sometimes we mesh and sometimes we don't, but we don't have to be friends. That's I not think, something there's a requirement to get appointed to a committee. Yeah, I think that that is an important thing to understand for those who are listening that might want to get involved is number one, you don't have to know people. And number two, we don't all have that same herd mentality. We don't agree. It's a healthy debate on what is best for the profession and different viewpoints are good. Sometimes on social media, we see some misinformation that it's all political and and you have to be buddies and and I that's not that's not what it is so I would hate for people to be discouraged from thinking that they're not worthy of signing that consent to serve because they think that they don't know someone and that couldn't be further from the truth right no and I mean, it's great if you walk up and introduce yourself. It's great to have a name to go with the face, but I'm going to talk to you on the phone anyhow. And so <laughs> I actually, a lot of times I'm appointing people that I don't know personally. I know them professionally and that's all I need to know. Right. I need them to be professional and represent the committee in which we're appointing them to in that fashion. And I, in all honesty, I don't uh, strive to be the smartest guy at the table. I want smart people around me. I want us to disagree. If we all agree, we're in a group think that's going to hell in a handbag. Yeah. That's not my theory on life. I want people to disagree. I want a descending vote. I want someone to show me the holes in my theory and I will patch those holes and we'll get it done right. And so I definitely like the idea of that healthy debate. We got to disagree to agree on other things. If we can agree where we want to go with the profession, we can disagree on how we're going to get there and figure that part out. And Absolutely. I think that's worked very well over the years, both as a chair on EPSC and as I've moved up through the AST uh, board of directors. I, I'm very much, uh, I believe I used the term recently, and I don't know where this came up from. You got to decide what kind of tater you are. And someone said, what are you talking about? I said, yeah, when you're a chair of a committee or a president of a board, you got to decide what kind of tater. You can be a dictator or a facilitator. Oh. And I'm a facilitator. I want to facilitate other people to think about it so that we can get things done. It's not my style to dictate what's going to happen. Now, I have told my class just on a funny note that uh, others have referred to me as a dictator, and I don't even look like a tater. <laughs> so... I'm trying really hard to cut down on my carbs. And so immediately the only thought I had was a tater tot, <laughs> which, which uh, is probably saying a lot about my psyche at the moment. If someone needs to feed me some damn bread. <laughs> That's awesome. But, but your, your version of tater is much better. Than well, I don't know. I was in the middle of a conversation and, and they were talking about <laughs> someone being a dictator. And uh, I said, well, in life, you got to choose what kind of tater you are. You are. What I want you to end our beginning part of this episode in, for those folks that are heading these committees. And what I'm referring to are the three standing committees that we are going to hear from the chairs in the next kind of segment. That are charged with the work of the national board. What is your message to them as they represent all CSTs and whatever facet that, you know, what are those lasting words that you want to kind of give to them as they move forward from being appointed in this position to the actual daily work that goes into this volunteer position? 
I would say the big message there is there's really, it's twofold. I would say one, realize that you're leaders of this profession, embrace those leadership skills and think about how you want it for the next generation of our profession. The decisions we make today don't always fix the troubles of today. However, the decisions we make today can alter what's happening tomorrow. And so we're not always doing it for ourselves. So we should have that servant's heart and be doing it for the next generation that's going to follow us. And as much as anything else, I think the mentorship is part of where that goes. We have to mentor each other to be better tomorrow than we were today. And with that, I can't think of a better way to end this segment and kind of segue into the next one. Thank you for spending time with me. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. So now that we've learned a lot about National Conference and AST as a whole, let's transition into the work of each individual standing committee. And it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Stephanie Austin and her interview with Lisa Day, the chair of the State Assembly Leadership Committee. All right, welcome back everybody. And it is my absolute pleasure to get to bring to you today a fantastic individual who I have uh, gotten to know at many conferences and now serve with on the State Assembly Leadership Committee, also known as SALC. So Lisa Day, how are you? Hi, Steph. Um, wow, I'm humbled. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm a little surprised you want to hear from me because most people want me to shut up. But anyway, um, yeah, thank you. This is an amazing um, thing that you all are doing. And um, it's exciting to see how our profession is going and how visible we are nowadays. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Lisa, I, I think you're fantastic. <laughs> obviously well thank you I love so, you too. <laughs> yeah so why don't you tell all of our listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey of becoming a surgical tech and you know kind of where you're at today okay um well let's see um if we go all the way back to the beginning I never knew that I wanted to be a surgical tech um it was one of those things I worked in the emergency room um working and supporting uh the family while my husband was in college and I got to be pretty good friends with some surgeons and I really liked um, that what they did fascinated me, but I thought I wanted to be a nurse. And then it was like, no, that I don't want to do that. Um, then I thought about going into respiratory therapy and then I was like, no, I don't like lung cookies. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> we moved to Louisiana for my husband's um, externship in his profession and ran across this cute little school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called Lady of the Lake College of Nursing and Allied Health, where some of our um, more famous people, such as Holly Falcon and Peggy Barnado and Ebony Siraj, just to name a few, um, they're all alumni there too. So I, I, it was a pretty interesting program. So I, it was my turn to go to school, started classes, fell in love with it, um, fell in love with Miss Ann Lorette. I thought the woman was a god. Um, I just, I fell in love with the thought that I could take care of patients and I didn't have to talk to them. And it was great because I love being up there in the meat and potatoes of everything. And I love taking care of patients and just kind of being the, the silent partner in the back. Believe it or not, I used to be really shy and quiet and I didn't 
not very outgoing. So it was a great place for me to be where I could just kind of hide in the background. You know, Believe it or not. <laughs> and it's funny because another person, you know, Chris, not to mention any names, once told me that she's shy. And I find that very, very hard to believe. <laughs> so from both of you, actually. So. Well, it's amazing because this profession actually brings out the best in us, I believe. It gives us confidence. Yeah. You know, it makes us see that we can do things that we never thought we could do before. And, um, you know, it makes us accountable. And, you know, so that's what I really fell in love with the profession. But so anyway, I was in school and um, I had this horrific thing happen to me the night before clinicals. I was unscrewing a light bulb so I could study. Light bulb shattered in my hand, lacerated my flexor tendon in my middle hand, in my middle finger, and I had to drop out because I couldn't scrub. Um, the plastic surgeon on call that night told me I would never scrub, and um, I had to go to go see Miss Ann Lorette and say I can't scrub, and she said, "Yes, you can. You'll be back next year." And sure enough, with some um, lots of therapy. And a lot of um, prayers. I went back to school and now I went on to graduate. Right out of school, I went and thought um, that I could conquer the world and I joined a private uh, CV team and worked and did hearts my first year out of school. Thought that I was pretty special. <laughs> and you were. You were. <laughs> Anybody that can come yeah. back from an injury like that has got yeah. to have some kind of passion. I think that's where my confidence came in because I proved that I could do and um, I became a huge patient advocate. You know, I felt every time my patients came to me and had an injury or there was something going on in their lives, I thought about where I was on the other end of it and how devastating an injury was. And so I think that's what really tuned me into being a patient advocate. But so, you know, to make a long story short, we decided to move and I got to explore other areas of surgery, which I realized real soon that even though I did cardiac and I was, I thought it was pretty hot stuff in the heart room, I didn't know how to do a hernia when I got done doing that. So it was interesting. My husband's profession has allowed me to work in different areas of the country under different hospital systems. And, and I, I just... In learning all the different specialties and being able to scrub and, and um, learn different, just different ways of doing things, it just made me understand that, you know, we're all different. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different passions. But teamwork, no matter what our, no matter what our differences are, teamwork is the most important thing to that patient. And that's really what has been the driving force behind my involvement with our profession. And just going into leadership, it, it's it's important that, that somebody speaks up for the patient and and somebody is the constant for the patient. And, you know, we can work next to each other and not care for each other, but darn it, we're going to care for the patient because it's the most important person in the world, in the, exactly. in the room. So oh, yeah, anyway, that's my journey in a little nutshell. So I'm actually in education now. I, I moved on. I practiced for about um, close to... 20 years. And then I had the opportunity to go into education because my own daughter became a surgical technologist. And I saw some of the things that I didn't like in her training. And, you know, I was probably the hardest one on her, but um, I, I was like, you know, this is my opportunity. I love students. I love training and, and bringing them into the OR and teaching them. And so 
it, I kind of felt like it was my opportunity to give back to the profession that was so wonderful to me. So I'm in my seventh year of teaching and I'm loving it. Well, that's, and, that's awesome. So, so tell me, Lisa, what got you into leadership as far as on your state and your national level? Let's start with the state level. What got you into that? Honestly, I made eye contact with the wrong person. Well, and that happens. <laughs> no, no. Um, I really wanted to be involved. And in my local hospital um, that I had moved to, I was the only certified surgical tech at that hospital. Oh, okay. And I knew I had to get credits. And so I sought out workshops and I found one in my state. And so I started going. And then I started recruiting some of my colleagues to go with me. And then I just happened to go to a meeting that was an election and I was a fresh face. And like I said, I made eye contact with somebody and I was running for the board before I knew it. I, um, I served one year on the board as a director and then very quickly ran and was elected vice president. And very quickly was, and I served one term as vice president and then, um, five years as president, thank you to um, COVID. But that, honestly, Stephanie, one of the things that really made me go into leadership is because there was a lot, there's a lot of naysayers out there that we know that are not fans of AST. You know, I got to the point where it's like, I'm tired of complaining and I want to be a part of the solution to the problems. And you can't be if you're not involved. And, you know, it's almost like voting. You can't complain if you don't vote. Well, you can't complain if you're not involved. And so that's what led me to just jump in. And my journey as a leader has not only made me a better practitioner and a better patient advocate, but just a professional all the way around. I have friends all over this country now and colleagues. And if I don't know the answer to something, I can, I, I have a dozen people I can call and ask. The networking has been phenomenal. It's made me better all the way around. And I'm not shy anymore. Imagine that. But um, leadership to me, it's about not, you know, some people see it as a, as a position of power. And I see it as a position of empowerment where, where we help to empower each other. And my goal is to make people that don't care for our professional organization to explain to me why. And my answer is always, okay, well, what are you doing? What are you doing to help the things that you think that we should be doing? Because, exactly. yeah, so anyway. You can't complain if you're not willing to jump in and help solve exactly. the problem. Exactly. So like I said in the beginning, I, I'm serving on South with you, State yes. Assembly Leadership Committee. Lisa is the chair of South. Tell oh, yeah. everybody what South is. Oh, the State Assembly Leadership Committee. Oh, this is my, uh, this is my love. And, and no offense to all the other committees that are in AST, <laughs> but we have the best committee. Yes. Don't you agree? I, mean, I think so. I think so. Just because we have the best um, representatives on our, on our committee. And again, we come from all different backgrounds, different uh, regions in the country and we all have different perspectives and we can all come together and bring them all together and just throw out ideas and network. I can't say enough about our committee, but what we do, we are, we're a appointed committee. Our 
AST board and president appoints us to the committee and we are there to serve as support and a liaison for our state leadership, state assembly leadership uh, teams. We help to just provide training and education and guidance and sometimes just boosts the confidence <laughs> for um, for these leaders. And, you know, we, not all of us are, I feel like here I am sitting a, as the chair and I still have a lot to learn about leadership. I mean, I, that's what I'm going for my master's in is leadership. We all still have things to learn, but the really cool thing about our committee is when we sit down together and we put our heads together, the, the brainstorming and the ideas and the things that we lead each other to to think about and see in different different sides of things it just makes it's it's just an amazing thing for our the states that we represent and for the people that um, come to us and ask us questions and by all means i don't know all the answers and to be the chair i mean it's kind of it's so humbling because there is not a one of us on this committee that is not just phenomenal practitioners and professionals. And so to be kind of the mama of everybody is very humbling. And believe it or not, I, I never thought that I'd ever be in this position because I'm not, I was a little shy kid. So, you know, what SALT does, we're there for our state assembly leadership teams. We find that a lot of times problems that go on in a leadership um, team is just personality conflicts just That's like in true. the OR. Right, yeah. <laughs> just like in the OR, we're not all the same. We we all have different ideas and different backgrounds and we don't have to like each other, but we have to work together. And I think about sometimes when people are having conflicts and they're not seeing eye to eye and people don't feel that other, you know, other members are pulling their weight or whatever. And I just wonder, you know, where do we where have we lost our focus? What is our goal? And I think one of our uh, our reps, Allison Lacey, she said it best. What is our goal? Why are we here? Are we here for a title? Are we here just to moan and groan and complain and fight? Or are we here because we want betterment for our profession and for our surgical patient? Did, that, did I answer your question? You did. <laughs> I think you did. And I think that for this segment of our podcast, we're probably about out of time. If you could give one piece of advice for all of those members of state assemblies out there who are not involved, what would your one piece of advice be? Well, I'll tell you, the recurrent thing that we hear is, I don't have time. That time is very valuable. We all work, we have families, we have responsibilities. The one thing I always hear is, I don't have time to, to dedicate to this. And my one piece of advice would be, make time. This is your profession. This is about your patient. It's about your the, the promotion of your profession. It's about you and you have to make time for you. I mean, I think about the time and it's like, we just, Stephanie and I just got off work. When you come home, you talk to each other for a few minutes, you can multitask, you have the time. So as just make the time, you'd be surprised how little time it really takes. If you want to make a difference in your profession, you have to make the difference. Don't rely on everybody else. Don't say, what are they doing for me? But instead say, what am I doing for me? So that's my, exactly. that's my only thing. I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it so much. And you've given some really good information for everybody out there to hear. And we'll be back in just a second. 
I hope you enjoyed that. Stephanie and Lisa are phenomenal people, and I could listen to them talk all day long, especially about Salk. But now it's time for us to move to our second standing committee, and that is bylaws, resolutions, and parliamentary procedures. And it is awesomely chaired by the great Ruth Bora. So without further ado, let's hear what Ruth has to say about her committee. So today I have with me Ruth Bora, who is the chair of the bylaws committee. And so please welcome her. Ruth, thank you for sharing a few minutes of your day with me. I'm very grateful that you're here with us tonight. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to this. So one of the questions that I ask everyone that I interview, because it's just fascinating to me, is how in the world did you end up in surgical technology to begin with? Do you mind sharing kind of your pathway to our profession? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I started basically uh, as a nurse's aide. And one night I was working night shift and I ran into this young woman who was in uh, L&D because that's where I was working. And she was stocking things. And I said, oh, I said, are you new? She goes, no, I've been here. I said, well, what do you do? I'm a surgical technologist. And I'm like, what's that? <laughs> so she said, <laughs> she explained what it was. And I'm like, my eyes lit up. And as soon as she finished, I said, so what school did you go to? Yeah. So she gave me the name and the phone number of the school. I immediately called the next morning, made an appointment to go down, and I signed up immediately. Oh, that's amazing. Because I always knew that I wanted to do more than, I, I really wanted to be a nurse originally. And then as things progressed with my life and I had kids and I just didn't have that time to commit mm -hmm. to it, yeah. um, I was like, this, this sounds like it would be a good fix and it would get me in. And if I decided to pursue nursing, I could. Sure. So when I finished um, signing up and starting school and doing clinicals, I was like, I'm in love. That's it. I'm done. I'm not going to nursing school. Forget that. You're hooked. I was hooked. That was it for me. And 16 years later, here I am. What kind of specialties of surgery did you find yourself in over the years? Uh, well, when I started, I worked at a level one. Mm -hmm. uh, trauma center. And so we rotated through everything except heart and ortho. Those had specific teams, but everything else I did, I did neuro, I did everything. And my true loves, believe it or not, is plastics and eyes. So those are my two favorite specialties. I feel like eyes and ortho and cardiovascular are the three kind of genres or services where you either fall in love with it or you're like, nope. Not for me. Yeah, not for me. Not going to do it. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Ruth, one of the things that I want to understand is how did you go from just daily life doing your best for patients as a certified surgical technologist to then getting more involved with AST and a volunteer or service basis? Well, I had a friend of mine who sat for the CST and I was five years out of school. Mm -hmm. My school unfortunately did not pay for it. So mm -hmm. I opted to wait to get as much experience as possible. My teacher also said, you know, I would wait yeah. just to make sure that you cover yourself with everything because you're not exposed to everything in the first year, second year. It's a There's lot. A lot to it's a lot to learn. <laughs> it is a lot to learn. And I was, I was so happy I waited. So I took it five years out and she had taken it right before me. So we were kind of studying together and uh, she saw that I was in New Jersey at the time because that's where I'm from and they were having a um, board meeting mm -hmm. and she goes, anybody can go. I said, really? And she goes, yeah. So she dragged me, <laughs> she dragged me there 
And um, turns out that, uh, yeah, I had one of the best days ever because I got so empowered by being at that meeting, just listening to, you know, everybody talk, everybody's experiences, everybody's um, love for what we do. And it just kind of gives you this empowerment. You know, I want to help. I want to change things and so on. So that's how I got sucked in. I love it. There's, <laughs> it's amazing. I remember the first time that I attended, you know, such an event and you yeah. look and it really solidifies, oh my God, I really did join a profession. Yes. Like there, there are like-minded people who care and that, that is a little intimidating because it makes you want to do so much better. But at the same time, like it's encouraging the energy is uh, addictive, I think. It's very addictive. Yeah. yeah so agree. what other areas do you have um, experience in service? Do you, are you on the state level as well as national? I am. I'm the president of uh, the New, Mex New Mexico State Assembly. Wonderful. Um, I've been started in New Jersey as a board of director. Mm -hmm. I was in that for um, four years. Then I went to uh, West Virginia and I lived there for three years and I was VP of West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and then in 2018, I moved to New Mexico, went to their meeting and they're like, do you wanna be VP? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, sure. From like do day two, you're like, yeah, why not? Kinda. I'm like, I was VP in West Virginia, sure. Let's carry it over. Yeah. So I carried it over and now I'm president. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy about that, yeah. Well, I'm on the board of director in Tennessee, and um, okay. and I, I served several different positions in Texas. But when I got here and they said, do you want to run? I was like, nobody knows who I am. Like, I'm not going to get elected. Sure, right. I'll run. And I'm on it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, be careful what That's you exactly ask for. True. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You, you go up there, you talk about yourself a little bit. And the next thing you know, you're, you have the position yeah. because people are voting for you. Exactly. So, you know, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with, which is interesting, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, when you speak about yourself mm -hmm. and the experiences you've had and the different, let's say, different states you've been in, like myself, it just kind of, I think it makes them feel confident, you yeah. know, confident in the sense of, wow, okay, so she's been doing this for a while. So I think this is probably a, a good thing. And I feel like that's how people get to move on and move up. It's the experiences, but you have to be willing to participate. That's the key. Oh my gosh, that's so huge. And <laughs> speaking of willingness to participate, how did you find yourself becoming a part of the bylaws committee on a national level? So this was interesting. I had, I knew that the positions had to be appointed and I have a lot of friends in ASTX. because I've been doing this for a while and I never really gave the standing committees even a thought like I didn't think that I would ever yeah. you know I'm this little person you know from a from a state and nobody's going to recognize me yeah and 2018 I got my fast congratulations got, on that that's huge and when I got home I got a letter that I was appointed to the bylaws committee I'm like say what <laughs> I'm like excuse me yeah. okay and I freaked out it went on I like did all this research on bylaws and I'm like oh Okay, but it was funny because one of my friends, Beth uh, Applegate DeVoe. Oh, I love her. Yes. So do I. Yeah. She gave my name to somebody. I don't know who. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so I was like, oh my God. I mean, I thanked her. Yeah. Like, because I still thank her. 
I'm like, you, that was so sweet of you. I mean, thank you for taking a chance on me and believing in me. Right. Because that's a huge thing. Because being a surgical tech, you're not really recognized in the sense of, you know, the, the operating room. But yes, sometimes you'll get a thank you here and there, but you're not really recognized. And when somebody picks you out of a crowd and appoints you to do something this important, it's like, you know, everything just kind of melts away. It's big. It's like, oh. yeah, it's just like you actually feel like you're important. There's meaning to what you do. It's yeah, lovely. It is. Yeah. And it, I think that for me, because you and I have a very similar story, um, but I think also it just, it kind of deepens that sense of responsibility because you don't, not only do you want to do well for our profession and our membership and but you also want to do well for the person that opened the door for you because you don't yeah. want to let them down, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about what bylaws the here for, you know, standing committee means that in perpetuity, yeah. <laughs> you all have a mission to serve the members of AST and, you know, those certified surgical technologists across the country. Yes. What does that mean for you all? It's, it's a pretty well-oiled machine. Mm -hmm. um, basically, if there's a bylaw that comes by, we go over it, uh, we discuss it, and if there's a change that someone wants to make to it, basically we vote on it. And it's interesting because right before I got appointed to the committee, not as chair, but just to the committee, that year, the bylaws committee was super busy. They were in and out of bylaws, just changing things and you know, just kind of updating. And since then, there hasn't been much. Our mission is to kind of reconnect. I want to say reconnect because we've been kind of out of it, especially with COVID. Yeah. We really haven't had a chance to really, you know, dig our feet in yeah. and go over. And not only is it just bylaws, but we have bylaws, we have resolutions, and mm -hmm. we have parliamentary procedure. Yeah. So policy and procedure falls under that. So there's a lot to go over and there's a lot of things that we have to go through and just kind of update because things have been pushed to the side or not that important. And Kevin has been really wonderful with trying to change things. And I appreciate that because I feel like me and my committee don't get to do a lot mm -hmm. and we want to be involved being with um, state assembly leadership. That is really key because we're kind of, I'll say this loosely, we are the police. Um, <laughs> I love that. He, well, it's true. We really it kind is. of are. I mean, at the conferences, you know, we guard the doors. We make sure people have their delegate badges on mm -hmm. and voting. You know, we have to keep everybody quiet. We're the tellers committee. I mean, we have a lot of responsibility. We are all on the same page and it's great because we all have each other's back. Yeah. And it's funny because we, you know, we get a new member every two years. Mm -hmm. So we cycle out. So I have a new member now and we have to kind of introduce her yeah. to how we do things. <laughs> just lying, but it's hard to do via like Zoom, you know, just right. via email. It's so, so when hard. They, when they come to conference, they're like, what do we do? What am I doing? <laughs> I don't know. Because I was the same way the first time myself. Yeah. I had no idea what my responsibilities were. I think, and I'm, I'm trying to be very interactive yeah. As soon as somebody emails me, I'm like responding right away. They need information. Yeah. I want to give them the information. It's hard when, like in the past, when I've had other instances where I've had interactions with people, you don't get the feedback that you need. Mm -hmm. And that is really not a good thing. I like to give feedback. 
or I even like to give criticism, depending. Um, but, you know, for bylaws and things like that, it's, we have a lot, I mean, the bylaws are, it's a lot, it's eight pages. So it's a lot of stuff. It is. And basically, we do the best that we can with what they give us. And it's really supposed to come to us. We're supposed to review, vote, send it back to the national board where they come to a consensus of what they want to do. We're just the police. The police. That's the only word I could say. (laughs) It's a great word, though, because I think that oversight is a huge deal. And it's also it is one of the traditions of medicine. It's that checks and balances system that ensures that our that our patients are getting the utmost care that they need to get. Um, And I think that also when when people who attend national conference and there is such a uh, an energy and you get so wound into the pomp and circumstance and oh, yeah. and all of that it's informative it's entertaining you get to really network but the the bread and butter of that is that big decisions are being made for our profession That's voting it. is occurring and you all are a major part of that and right. i think that that isn't as well known of a job task as people think so the delegates and yes and it's interesting because being a delegate is not just being a delegate you have responsibilities when you're a delegate Mm -hmm. and all those responsibilities have to be fulfilled and if they're not fulfilled you can't vote so we have to make sure that the right people who are voted members who have the right to vote are the ones voting yes correct are correct our mistakes do they like do people who are not delegates often try to get in there and like check a they box don't, I don't think they try I think that they're misinformed yeah at the past meeting uh-huh. um, <laughs> we had one that was in line and we scanned it scanned her badge and of course it didn't say delegate on it but sometimes that happens sure so we scanned it and said it didn't come up so she she thought that everybody could vote so there yeah. for her state assembly needs to explain to her how that works Mm -hmm. and these are the things like the little it's a little thing but it's a big thing and if we didn't have our computer system scanning people in and scanning people out who knows what would happen so yeah it's really important to be voted in by the membership Mm -hmm. have a delegate on your badge and be able to vote so when when all of the voting has happened and you all are counting votes and double checking everything. I would imagine the tension in the room is pretty high. <laughs> yeah. Right? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, so how um, do you as chair handle that responsibility? Um It's 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 nice to have the computer. Let's just put it that way. Sure. Um yeah. so we get the the numbers are printed out and basically our job at that point, I mean there's nothing tension wise that you know, goes on between all of us. Mm-hmm. We just there to do our job. Yeah. We have people that are assigned to do certain things and that's what we do. And of course we have people watching the room to make sure the voting thing goes without off without a hitch. Technology um, is great when it works. <laughs> we've had a couple sure. of issues here and there, but that's okay. Yeah. It all worked out. Um, but yeah, at the end when we have all the numbers, basically we check, we check the numbers, we check the amount of votes that were cast and how many each person got, and we tally it up that way. And if there's a tie, then we have to go through and do it again, mm-hmm. which is always interesting. There's really no tension because the computer does all the work. Mm-hmm. Our job at that point is to sign off as a teller's committee 
that this is acceptable, the numbers were correct, we matched them with the computer, and everything was good to go. Wonderful. So it's pretty straightforward, thank God for technology. <laughs> right. I would not have wanted to be on bylaws or be in the Teller Committee uh, 20, 30 Without years ago. Without a computer. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, 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 no. Bad enough to do it on your own state assemblies. That's hard enough because we don't have yeah. computers. It's paper. That's true. So, yeah. Do you all ever find yourselves attending the state assembly meetings um, as bylaw committee members? Oh, good question. Um, so we, uh, I'm kind of excited about this, let's just put it that way, um, because this is part of our job. Yeah. I mean, if you read through the bylaws, you know, we have responsibilities that include state assemblies. Mm. Kevin had spoke to me about teaming up with the state assembly leadership committee. Wonderful. Lisa Day yeah. and kind of getting connected with the people that have, you know, the states and be those liaisons for those states, mm -hmm. which I think is a wonderful idea. Because especially if you have new people that were voted in, they may not be up to date on what is supposed to happen at a meeting. Sure. So I don't want to say police, but kind of, we have to kind of police it. And we don't get to do any of that right now. Mm -hmm. So Kevin is introducing that idea to the board. And um, I think if it happens, it would be wonderful because we'll be able to actually, you know, do part of the job that we were appointed to do, which yeah. is to help the state assemblies. And it takes a village. Like it really does <laughs> take a team. And I think that as as a state assembly, you know, leadership member myself, yes. we welcome all the help. Like everybody <laughs> come in and help us do this the right yes. way. Because everybody Absolutely. wants to do well by our members and by our profession. So yeah. We can't be an expert on everything. No, yeah. and we can't either. Yeah. But that's where we come together because mm -hmm. I can help you, you can help me. It's kind of one hand washes yeah. the other. So I think it's a great, a great idea. And mm -hmm. I really, really hope that it, it goes through. It would be fabulous. Me too. Well, are there any other current projects or anything that you want to speak of in relation to bylaws that I haven't talked about with you yet? Um, think not uh not as of just yet yeah. um that's the newest mm -hmm. proposition so i was excited about that oh Definitely. yeah kevin had mentioned something about getting together with jessica elliott yes um because she's the policy and procedure girl for um the board yeah and sure we'd love to help out with that as well so Absolutely. there's a couple of things in the works so we're hoping to you know have that all kind of come to fruition so. well I can't imagine a better team for it. Kevin Craycraft is my Beth Applegate. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he was the one who came up to me years and years ago. Poor guy. He may regret it since then. <laughs> but uh, we all need that mentorship. And yes. I just I want to end with if someone thinks, hey, maybe I do want to be a delegate. Like this this whole process seems really cool to me, and and maybe I want to get involved. What do you have to say to them? Um, you know, how can you encourage them to go about becoming more involved on that level? My my suggestion would be to attend your state assembly. I Definitely. mean, that's where it all starts. I mean, that's mm -hmm. where you get your information. And, you know, that's the best source for CEs, you know, live yeah. that you can possibly get. And we all need them. I mean, that is, that's key. I mean, that's how I started. I think that's how a lot of us started. Yeah. So going to your state assembly, getting involved, you know, um, ask questions. And I always say to people, like when I'm speaking at my, 
conference, I'll always say, you know, if you guys have any questions, please, you know, email me, come up to me. I'm available anytime. I'll help however I can. Yeah. You know, it was interesting. My last conference that we had in March, I was losing all of my board. So no. it, was just, it was just me and I was kind of in a really rough spot and oh. I just kept every break between every surgeon that was speaking, I was up there, you know, if anybody's good with numbers, come talk to me. Right. If, you know, anybody is really organized, come talk to me to kind of recruit people to be a part of this. And I ended up keeping one of my people that was on my board with me and she moved up to secretary. So that was fantastic. Oh, blessing. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of the day, I had a full board. Look at you. I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so it can happen. It can, but you know, being available, being able to answer questions, engaging people, networking. I mean, that's how this all happens. And people don't know how valuable that is until they're in it. Mm -hmm. So come to the meetings, go, go to your state assembly meetings. That's where it starts. It really does. And I'm so grateful that you did. And congratulations on all of Thank these you. fresh perspectives that are happening uh, in New Mexico at the state level. Uh, gosh, just great things are going to happen. And I'm I'm very grateful for you all in bylaws and the work that you do to ensure our processes are correct. We in the education committee, we get a little ahead of ourselves every now and then. We're like, we can do all of it. As Surge Tech can do everything. Let's go. <laughs> and you all are really good at kind of reeling that back in a little yeah. bit, which, which I'm the chair, so I can say that. Yes, <laughs> <It's okay. yes. laughs> but uh, we just, we all work together as, yeah. you know, Lisa and you and me, we all work together to provide just the best opportunities we can for our profession. And we always yes. are incredibly supportive and encouraging of people to get involved. I just, I'm grateful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about this. I just, I can't wait to see what else happens. And of course, I can't wait to see you in Chicago at yes, our next national you. conference. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Looking forward to it. Our last standing committee is the Education and Professional Standards Committee. I happen to be the chair this year. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. So my partner in podcast crime, Stephanie Austin, nicely interviewed me uh, so that you all can find out a little bit about what that particular committee is doing. So let's hear it. All right, everyone. Welcome back after that little short break we just had. And I have the absolute pleasure <laughs> of introducing my BFF, my partner in crime, and typically the host of this podcast is, yes, Miss Chris Blevins. Um, Chris is the chair for the EPSC. Is that right? It is. Okay, I'm glad I got it right. Uh, <laughs> this is a subcommittee on, of the AST. And Chris, would you like to tell our wonderful listeners about your role on this wonderful committee? It's not as good as South. Oh Sorry. my God, here we go. Help it. All right. All right. Oh man. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. Yeah. Hello. So, I this is my third year on the Education and Professional Standards Committee, and I have the utmost pleasure of chairing the committee this year. 
it's, as you said, it's one of the three standing committees for AST. So there's the State Assembly Leadership Committee and the Bylaws Committee. Um, and then, of course, uh, ours lovingly known as EPSC. And it's a very busy year-round committee. Our focus on this committee is the education of certified surgical technologists. I think we play a role in reviewing, editing, and uh, making sure that our standards for the scope of practice for surgical technologists uh, really do match what we are doing in the field of surgery. Also, that it matches what we're doing in the classroom. Because, you know, you have to have synergy there. If we're not teaching what is happening in real world, and then those two things aren't matching when it comes to the curriculum, and then preparing our students to take the CST exam, we're going to drop the ball and we're going to miss a few. It's a really great committee. Many people, they may not know that we help run the National Education Conference every year. Uh, that's the one that's hosted by AST and every February, uh, this next one coming up, really cool things are going on. We're not, we're not too public about all of it just yet, but, uh, there's so much information. There's a brand new section that is being added in regards to leadership and it's being held in Savannah, Georgia, which is gorgeous. So I'm super stoked. Absolutely. So, you know, we run and help kind of devise and plan the education conference. Uh, We also are in charge of reviewing applications for CEs. So if there are companies out there that want to put together a workshop, or an online webinar, enduring material, even not-for-profit organizations. And they would like AST to accept continuing education credits for that particular workshop. There's a whole application process, and it's the EPSC members who determine whether or not that's accepted. That's a really cool facet of what we do. And then we also, we review things that have to do with the core curriculum. We do a lot of kind of strategizing for, you know, ways that we can help our educators and our practicing CSTs. Those AST position statements that you see on the, uh, on the website, um, you know, we have a huge part in the creation of that. And we get to work super closely with the education department at AST. So I have to do a shout out to Kevin Fry and Wanda Folsom because they are our AST liaisons. They are wonderful. They're a huge help with me. Kevin and I talk a lot and strategize and kind of work through things before I get give it to the committee. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm very grateful for that kind of relationship. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we all know as surgical technologists that education is a huge part of what we do. Yeah. How does the EPSC interact with the MB STSA as far as the certification exam and the standards that go along with that? So I know that we are currently in the process of reviewing the practice exams for the CST, you know, no, do we get the actual NBST CST exam and get to look at it? No. All right. So I can't accept any money in that one. I'm not (laughs) probable. (laughs) So we don't, but there's a lot of information about like the job analysis survey and, you know, that's where those questions come from. But we're currently taking a look at the the CST exam prep, those 
six exams to like kind of bonus science exams that came right. in with it. The book that everybody gets with, with their gold bundle. So those of you yeah. that are not educators, the students can purchase a gold bundle, which comes with a CST review book. It also comes with their certification exam. And they also, uh, it comes with their AST membership, which gets yeah. them the Surgical Technology Maxine. The three-headed beast, right? Like there's ARC and AST and NB. And right. think that maybe there's a misnomer uh, people don't understand how much these three entities try to work together for that synergistic approach to make sure that we are truly educating certified yeah. surgical technologists, you know, or at least preparing them to become uh, right. CST. So there's a lot of that that we're working on. So we have a lot of projects going, but it's all focused on supporting educators in in a manner that is uh, up to date with what's actually being practiced in the operating room. I really want to just take a second and say thank you because, yeah, I'm the chair of the committee, but if it weren't for our committee members, like we really do work as a group, I want to mention this on them because I couldn't do it without them. I've got some rock stars on this committee. I want to, of course, begin with Dave Blevins. Uh, he's one of our veteran members, along with Christy Meg. She's also one of our veterans. We have Fee Consweiler and Shay Coleman, who are also coming in to complete their first term. And then we have our new members, which I'm super excited to welcome to our team. Christy Cole, Maureen Murphy, Melanie McRoberts, Jeffrey Walker, and then, of course, to round it all out, we've got John Hadley. One of the favorite things that I love about the EPSC is how well everybody kind of communicates and works together on projects. And we have, you know, mentioning that the reason I do is because we've got not just educators, but we have folks that are practicing. We have people that are in administration and then we have people that are also in kind of the workforce. And and that gives this hugely holistic approach to all of the projects that we have going and it's been really kind of cool. I'm honored to to be a part of it and hope I lead it well. We're moving forward. We're going really fast. Yeah. And even when you're outside of the OR, it's still a teamwork. It totally is. Yeah. It's teamwork. Any way yep. you look at it. So I'm just grateful for them. We do we do a lot of work. We we work really hard. Very cool committee. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Chris, for giving us a rundown of what the EPSC is. Do you have any closing statements you'd like to make? No, just that please stay tuned for more information about the Educators Conference that's coming up in February. We're going to have an addition to the the day one, if you will. It's going to be uh, all about leadership. And if you want to rise through the ranks and come from an instructor to a coordinator and a coordinator to a director, a director to a chair, a chair to a dean, like, oh, if you want to run the world, right? Um, this going to have some great tools to get you through that. We have a professional poster hall happening. We've got lots of great breakout sessions, and we hope that the Educators Conference is going to be extremely hands-on, and it's real-world things that you can take back and implement in your own program. So I hope that I see everybody there in Savannah. And, uh, and yeah, that's it. So let's round out what I am hoping you all see as an extremely informative and transparent episode about kind of what happens between the standing committees, 
after national conference and all of the different roles that are available for you all to hop in and be a part of the process. And I am going to conclude this episode with an interview with Alicia Pooley, who is a delegate from New York. She has run for delegate and been a voting member at National Conference and a way to uh, be a voice for her colleagues behind the Mayo. And I can't wait for you to hear a little bit more about her experience. So let's get started. Alicia Pooley, I thank you for joining me today. Um, I really am grateful. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. So tell everybody a little bit just about you, where you work, what you do, how long you've been a scrub. Um, so I've been a scrub for a little over 16 years. I'm from New York and I worked in the hospitals um, until about like six years ago. And then I got into education. So now I'm the clinical coordinator for a scrub tech program in um, Mohawk Valley Community College. So I've been working there for about six years and I love my job. I love what I do. I love the students. So yeah, so that's kind of in the nutshell, <laughs> yeah. my path. Right? Well, what I always love to hear how people even found surgical technology because, you know, nobody knows who we are. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so like, how did you even find the field? So I actually wanted to go to nursing school. I had got my bachelor's degree out of high school for television promotions and broadcasting. Awesome. And couldn't find a job and the job market wasn't that good. And I had done a minor when I was in school for coaching and I took some anatomy courses and stuff like that. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll do nursing. I know that's like a good field to get into and there's lots of jobs. So I went to our local college and they were like, well, there's like a two-year wait to get into our nursing program. Dang. And I didn't want to wait two years. That sounded ridiculous to me. Right. Um, and bills, there are bills to pay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Years, so. So I was like, well, that's not really going to work out for me. But I registered for like A&P and chemistry. I figured I'd get that out of the way. And then I was um, looking and talking with family and stuff. And my uncle had actually mentioned a search tech program that he was thinking about going into. And he's like, we should do it together. It'll be fun. And I'm like, I don't really do blood, but (laughs) sure. let's." It was a one-year program then. So I was like, it's one year. And that'll get me kind of bridged to nursing. I could just transfer everything over. And uh so I went to the search tech program and got accepted um, and I didn't have to wait, which was nice. That's and really then, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then I finished the program, started working and then was like, yeah, I never want to be a nurse. I'm right. just going to stay right where I'm at. I'm really just happy where I'm at. So yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I think it's, it's a bit addicting, right? Our career field. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's really like really get into it and you really understand sometimes it's really hard to explain yeah. how fun our job is and what we do really and how involved we are because yeah. you know even on things like crazy anatomy it just looks like we're just handing stuff over and we're just standing there watching doing nothing so <laughs> we're really there it's yeah it's yeah. really it's exhilarating and it's fun and i said i'll never be a nurse i'm just gonna stay where i'm at exactly well so one of the things that i really love about our delegate process is that all you need to do is be involved and you need to be a CST and 
and be willing to serve in that role. You don't have to be in education and you don't have to be on one of these committees or or on a board or anything. Um, it's just an opportunity to be a voice. When did you first become a delegate and, and kind of will you talk people through that process of how you know, you got elected. I started when I got into education, I started really going to our state level conferences a lot more. I had been to a couple, but I wasn't kind of like religiously going, I would say, and just getting to know people there. And then somebody had mentioned running for board seats and getting on the board and that kind of thing. And that's when I kind of really learned even what a delegate was. Like I heard them talking about it during conferences, but I didn't really know much about that side of the thing. We talked about it and we talked about going to conference and then I had started going to national conference um, when I got into education. So then I was like, well, at first I was like, well, you know, I kind of didn't know if I wanted to be in that position to step up and say, I want to be a voting member of, you know, our state. Um, Because essentially that's kind of what we're doing when we're there. We get to vote on the different things that come up at conference and during the business meetings and things like that. But then after like going to national conference one year and like seeing everybody sitting up in the front, like in your little sections. And I'm like, yeah, no, I need to be up there. (laughs) I need a front row view. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to be back here. And I mean, you're still involved. You still get to kind of talk through processes and make, you know, make comments, but I want to be that person that changes our profession and and has a a say in what happens because I think it's important. Well, I, I think that maybe some people uh, might not understand the whole process uh, and and what happens at conference. You know, yeah, we get to listen to some really cool speakers and we get to learn a lot about new technology and approaches and kind of, you know, that part that happens in surgery. But another huge part of it is the business meeting um, and kind of the the nuts and bolts of, of running AST. And you learn so much at those meetings. We have financial reports that are usually done by the treasurer. We talk about membership drives and, and then also people that are running for open seats. They get to do their spiel and we get mm-hmm. to learn about them and what seats are even available. And you find out so much information. It's also, I've been on that stage uh, up there with the lights and it's mm-hmm. intimidating. It's so intimidating oh, when you're out there. You can't I see. Very scared. You can't see anybody in outside of like the mm-hmm. front row because the lighting is just so big. So those people who run for these seats, I have so much respect for the fact that they even get up there because to mm-hmm. talk about your platform and to volunteer for these positions, and then they have what I think they lovingly refer to as like the fishbowl, where you mm-hmm. all as delegates get to go and ask them questions. How do you figure out what kind of questions you all as delegates want to even ask of the candidates? Yeah, so we really, we usually meet beforehand and maybe mm-hmm. make like a list or talk and say like, oh, like what kind of things would you want to know about the person that's going to be kind of, you know, think about it as a governing body, like our government, right? They're the ones yeah. who can make our decisions and are going to change surgical technology for that next however many years they're on the board for. So mm-hmm. me personally, I always like to pick those like weird outside questions, like, you know, would you rather be late and perfect or, you know, on time and not so perfect? Like those questions, I feel like just get really great answers and you really get to know somebody and what they think. Right. Um, what would your answer be to that question? Oh, God. <laughs> I, I will. 
I'd rather, I'm an on-time person. Like that's just ingrained in my body. Like I hate being late. It makes me Mm -hmm. so anxious and nervous. I'd rather just be on time and be a little off off yeah i can figure it out as i go Um, Uh, that's like the story of my life would be so high if i was late (laughs) (laughs) well very cool what um so once you guys have had all of those questions kind of answered do you meet again before voting happens we do we usually you know maybe we'll grab lunch or grab dinner grab a drink and find a place to sit and just kind of chat and say you know Oh, we really liked what this person said. And we kind of split up into smaller groups because there is like eight of us that usually delegate six or eight or something. So um, we can kind of reconvene and say like, oh, well, when I talked to so-and-so, she said this and, you know, I really love that idea. And I would love to be able to support her and or him to get that idea off the ground. Like it's a really great thought process. Yeah. Um, So kind of like, you know, mingle back together and decide and then make a, a plan of action, I guess you could say, <laughs> for voting the next day. And then we all meet together in the morning and grab coffee and go vote. And go vote. I spoke with Ruth Bora, who is the chair of the bylaws committee. And their main responsibility at conference is the teller committee and really making sure that voting is is happening the way that it should be through our constitution. And so what is it like? You got, I mean, you guys are kind of almost sequestered. You have a special identifier on your badge, right? That are on your um, lanyard that says that you are a delegate and you guys go to the special voting room. What is it like? Yeah, so you get there, there's usually a huge line of people waiting <laughs> yeah. to get in and vote. So you're waiting in this giant line of people. Um, but then you go up and you show your badge and then you kind of walk up to a computer and it feels, I mean, it feels really like you're voting for the president of the United States. Like it's the same kind of feeling, you know yeah. what I mean? You're coming in, you're in your own little booth, you're voting, mm-hmm. um, nobody can see what you're doing. Um, and then you kind of enter in what you want to vote for and then mm-hmm. submit it. Um, and then they check you again at the end and stamp you off so you can't come back in and vote again. So vote twice, um, right? Yeah, you don't want to vote twice. But, <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time it was a little nerve wracking. I'm like, oh my God, what if I get up there? And they're like, no, you can't vote. Like and I stood in this line of people, I'm going to be that person. But right. it all worked out. But yeah, so it's, and it's a great feeling when you get done. You feel like you've done something to better our profession. And that's yeah. what this is all about. Well, and I love how well controlled it is. Like it is a very methodical process and there is oversight, uh, which I think is always a good thing. I think to just kind of like round it all out, I want to know when you run for delegate, what do you say? Like, what is your speech when you're at your business meeting in in the New York state and um, you're asking people to vote for you? So I think for me, just making sure that they all know that I'm voting for them. Like, I want to know what they want. You know, I'm not voting just because I want to vote and vote whatever I want to vote. I want to vote what New York state wants as a state. Um, So I want to be able to talk to all of them and say like, you know, is there something that you really feel passionate about? Is there something that us as New York should be doing to better surgical technology? And if I know what that is, then I can pick the person that I think is going to do what I think New York State wants to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just want everybody to know that I'm not doing it just to do what I want. I'm doing it for the better of everybody that I'm working for. Alicia, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing that experience. And thank you for what you do for your state um, and at national. I really appreciate it.
Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And hey, guess what? I'll see you at the New York State Assembly meeting in November. I know. I'm so excited you're coming. <laughs> I'm super excited too. So yeah, it'll be fun. All right. Well, thank you very much. And what a great way to end a really cool and what I hope everybody enjoys is a great episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Scrub Life podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Scrub Life podcast. Show notes for this episode, as well as past episodes, our contact information, and the virtual suggestion box can be found at our webpage thescrublifepodcast.com. This has been Chris Blevins and Stephanie Austin with the Scrub Life Podcast. Until next time, be safe, support each other, and stay sterile.